Bibles, you can turn to the book of Philemon. If you don't have Bibles, we're going to get those passed out and going around the room. Ari's also coming around with note sheets, so we'll give her a second to get that out. This is the end of our series, Letters from Paul. And all God's people said, Amen. We're tired of this boring stuff. It's kind of something interesting. It's okay. We get into all the really fun stuff next week. Next week we start 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Let's go. Spiritual gifts. You asked for it. It's coming. This is where the Pentecostal just comes out. And we get to have fun. It's exciting. I'm excited. This is something I've wanted to do for literally years. And so next week, Spiritual Gifts is launching. But this week, we're going to finish off our Letters from Paul series with the book of Philemon. If you have a trademark Bible, it's on page 1,000. Just let that sink in for a second. We've been attacking the Bible for three years, and we've made it through a thousand pages of book. Tell me how big this is the very beginning of that. You're like, man, wow. It has felt like a long time. We made it. We're here. We got there. We're on page 1,000. We're almost done by December. By December, we're finishing the Bible. By the way, December, we're doing the book of Revelation, which is another awesome I know you guys want to hear about the mark of the beast, and you want to hear about all kinds of other crazy stuff. That's coming in December. So, just want to whet your appetite for what's to come. There's exciting stuff ahead. The Bible is cool. The Bible is incredibly exciting and interesting. I know Brian wants to be here for our Revelation series. But turn to Philemon for tonight. We're going to be there. We're going to read the whole letter. So you guys are like freaking out. But if you like turn the page, you'll notice it's only 25 verses. So we can do this. We're going to read the entire book of the Bible tonight. So if you have never like read a whole book of the Bible before tonight, you can cross it off your list. After tonight, you, have, you will have read an entire book of the Bible. You'll be accomplished. So before we do that, I'm just going to give you the story real quick. Philemon is kind of an interesting letter because it is a personal letter. Every other letter that Paul writes, he writes it to a church, and there's kind of a big theological important theme. Philemon is a short letter to a friend, and Paul's writing directly to a friend. So we get kind of a more uh, personal side of Paul, a different side of him we don't often get to see in his other letters. Here's the story. So Paul knows this guy named Philemon. Philemon comes to Paul in, and Paul's in the city of Ephesus preaching. Philemon comes, he's on a business trip, he's this wealthy dude, very successful, comes to Ephesus, hears the message of Jesus from Paul, and gets his life totally rocked by the gospel, becomes a different person, becomes a Christian, his whole family comes to Jesus, he goes back to Colossae, the city he lives in, and he starts the Colossian church there. He opens his home up, and they meet there every time. So Philemon is a really important guy in the church in Colossae. He's one of the founders, a very important figure, very wealthy. He's an important guy. He owns a slave by the name of Onesimus. Say Onesimus. 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 This is Philemon's slave that he owns. Onesimus. Onesimus. I'm already, I'm going to struggle with this one tonight. Anemone. Onesimus steals some money from Philemon, runs away. He breaks out of there. He doesn't want to be a slave anymore. He runs off to Rome. He lives on his own in the city of Rome. So that's Philemon. That's Onesimus. Years later, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's writing letters. This is when he writes the book of Colossians. He writes the letter to the Ephesians. He writes the letter to the Philippians. And while he's in prison in Rome, he meets this guy. Guy comes up to him by the name of Onesimus. He meets Onesimus, kind of gets to know him. Onesimus is a slave. He's just living on the streets in Rome, living, trying, trying to just survive, trying to make ends meet. It's still better than being a slave, but he's, he's doing it. He's there. He meets Paul, and Paul begins to tell him the story of Jesus. And Onesimus hears the story of Jesus. His life is changed by the story of Jesus. He follows Jesus, and they get to talking, and it comes out that, yeah, I'm a runaway slave. I ran away from my master, Philemon. And Paul's like, Philemon? No way. 
What the, what are the odds? I'm in Rome, and here I meet, I meet Philemon's runaway slave, thousands, hundreds, hundreds of miles away in Rome. And so Paul gets to talk to the Nesmiths. He's like, hey, so you ran away. They're talking, he shares his story, and Onesimus becomes like a brother to him. Onesimus is just like, they're tight, they're close, Onesimus helps them out. When you're in prison, like, it's not like today when you're in prison, you get three meals a day, and like, they take care of you a little bit. When you're in a Roman prison, you got nothing. Unless your friends remember to bring you food, you're going to starve to death. And so Onesimus is out getting Paul food. He's bringing him stuff, he's keeping him alive, keeping him healthy. And so Paul and Onesimus, they're like, they're close, they're brothers. And eventually, Paul... Sends Onesimus back to Philemon. It's Peter. I said, what? What's he doing? Send him back to his slave. So he sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter in hand. And he asks Philemon to receive Onesimus not as a slave, but as a brother. He asks him to free Onesimus and receive him into his house and provide for him just as his own family member. And this is a radical thing. Because slavery in ancient Rome is not... Um, it's not like this really chill thing, right? 40% of the population are slaves. And so Rome is built on the back of slave labor. Much like America in the early 1800s, like everything in the economy runs on the power of slave labor. I was reading some stuff, researching, trying to figure out what is it like to be a slave in Rome. And it is no fun. It is not, it's not a good deal. It's not great. It's a mess. You are in some trouble when you're a slave. And Sometimes brutal, sometimes terrible. Other times, though, slavery is economic. A guy can't pay his debts. He runs up too much on the credit card. He can't afford food. And so he'll sell himself to a wealthy man like Philemon. He'll sell himself for labor, and he'll pay off his debts, work for Philemon, and then at the end of a certain period of time, he's going to be free. We don't know which category of slave Onesimus is in. There's scholars debate these things. But the point is, Philemon owns Onesimus as a slave. Onesimus runs away. He's back home. And slavery is not great. The relationship can at times be like an employer and an employee. Sometimes it's much more intense and crazy. And this letter, among other parts of Paul's writing, begin to form the basis for the abolition of slavery. And so in the 1800s, when uh, politicians in Britain begin to fight to end the slave trade, and when politicians in America begin to fight to end uh, legalized slavery in the United States, when Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation, he has the words of Philemon in his head. So this is a really incredible book, just in terms of his historical weight and how it shaped the church. Paul is arguing that slavery should not be a thing. And this is wild. Right? Today we hear this and it's like, yeah, of course, duh, slavery sucks. Like, how is this even up for debate? But in Rome, in this ancient time where everything's built on slavery, where slavery is just part of the economy, where it's a really normal thing, this is a radical claim that Paul is making. That he's saying that your slaves are meant to be treated as your brothers. This is absolutely wild. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon, and he sends it back with Onesimus. And Onesimus shows up to church on Sunday morning. Where does church meet, remember? It's in Philemon's house. And so he shows up to Philemon's house. The very place where he's in the slave, and he begins to stand before the church and says, Hey, I'm here. Philemon's looking at him like, Whoa, bro, what are you doing here? You ran away, you stole my stuff. Like, I don't know how I feel about this. He says, Hold on, I have a letter from Paul. Let me read it. So I just want you guys to feel the drama of this moment as Onesimus shows up in the church with his former slave owner, the guy who used to like whip him and cause problems for his life. And he begins to read this letter. Philemon, and we're going to start in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, that's Philemon's wife and his son, 
and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be gracious and given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You just read a whole book of the Bible. How's that feel? You cross it off the list. Hey, let's pray real quick, and then we will talk through this. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that even thousands of years ago, you had a vision that all men are created equal. That these words didn't begin in the heart of Dr. King, they began in the heart of your word. And Lord, I pray that tonight you would see just how incredibly powerful and transformative those words are. Lord, I pray that we would hear your words to us and the transformation that needs to happen in our lives today. Maybe it's not slavery, but there's something in our lives that needs to be transformed. So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what change needs to happen in our lives, that we would be willing and receptive to make it happen. We thank you. We love you. It's your beautiful and your glorious name we pray. Amen. 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 Philemon. This is an awesome book. It's an awesome letter. It's one that I don't think I ever heard preached on when I was a student. This might be the first message I've heard on Philemon. It's not an often preached book, but it's a really good one. I'm excited to dive into it. So the first thing you can write down is the gospel brings a transformed life. The gospel brings a transformed life. When Paul opens his address, he begins to talk to Philemon, and the first thing he notes in Philemon's life is, hey, there's some transformation that's happening in your life. In verse 4, he says it this way, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I derive much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed in you. So Paul begins and he says, hey, Philemon, I'm looking at you and I see that you're a different guy. 
I met you in Ephesus, and you were not the dude that you are now. You were kind of mean. You were violent. And now, man, your love for people is so evident. It's so awesome when I look at your life and just see how, how loving you are towards the, the other people. When I hear stories coming, because Paul knows Philemon from this church in Colossae, and so they'd write him letters, and he'd hear about Philemon's life and say, man, I know just how awesome you are. I, I see your faith, how much you trust Jesus, how, your, your allegiance to your fellow brothers and sisters in the church, how you were for them. You, you, you're about making their lives better. And, and Paul recognizes, hey, there's some good stuff going on in your life. And this is really good to notice because Paul doesn't just start by condemning Philemon for the sin of, like, slavery. But he begins by saying, hey, there's some good stuff, too. And it's so important that we call out the good in other people. This is just, this is a freebie. This isn't in my notes. But when you're trying to convince someone of something, like, if you're trying to convince someone, hey, what you're doing is wrong, don't start out by calling them a terrible person. People get this wrong on social media all the time, especially today. We just want to be so quick to judge people. We want to be so quick to throw the hammer down. We want to be so quick to just call people out and tell them they're idiots. But honestly, you will accomplish so much more if you'll start by saying, hey, let me recognize the good things in your life. Let me recognize what you have going on that's really working out. When you're in conflict with a friend, when you're in conflict with someone, start by pointing out the good things. And then you can begin to, to talk about it. But here's some stuff that I'd like to see change. And that's right what, that, that's what Paul does. The very next thing in verse 6, he, he says this, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The NLT, can we get the NLT up there? Josh, I forgot to put it in. I love the way the NLT says it. It breaks it down. If you ever struggle to read the Bible and understand what it says, and you just read some verses like, what the heck? Try a different translation. They can sometimes help. I love the New Living Translation. It makes it so easy to understand what it says. Uh, we'll give him a second to try to find that. But essentially, Paul says, what you believe needs to change the way that you live. Be because you believe something about Jesus, because now you follow Jesus, because you believe something different than you believed before, that needs to begin to affect the way that you live your life. I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So this is Paul's word to Philemon, and this is kind of Paul's word to you tonight. I pray that you would put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. I pray that you would believe something, and that then you would put that belief into action, you make some change in your life because of the change that happened in your head. Because something changed in your head, because you believe something differently. Now I want you to begin to live differently as a result. I've seen this start in your life. I've seen you begin to kind of walk in the way that Jesus would have you walk. I've seen you begin to just show love and faith, but I want that to continue. I want that to come to full fruition. I want that to finish. I don't want the good things that God is doing in your life just to start now, but I want you to keep working at it. I want you to keep following Jesus. I want you to keep making those changes. Good job on making the changes that you've made so far, but keep making them. Keep it going. I want this transformation to carry on. This is only the beginning of what God wants to do. For some of you guys, you've started those first steps. You've begun to make some changes. You've started a Bible reading plan. You, you started to pray more regularly. You started to just listen to sermons. And you started to make some changes in your life. And this is what I think God would say to you tonight is, hey, this is great. Congratulations. Well done on the progress you've made so far. And like, I can call out some names in the room. Josh, well done on the progress you've made in just growing in your relationship with Jesus, pursuing humility. Bella, congratulations and well done on the work that you've done in growing in kindness, in the work that you've done in becoming more like Jesus. Andrew, well done in the work that you've done in pursuing Jesus, in becoming a better disciple and carrying on what he has to say. Salem, well done in the way that you have worked to just have good relationships with people around you. And, make those. and I can keep going. I just don't have time to name everything. 
every person in the room, and some be like, you didn't say my name. I must be a failure. It's okay. I love you. I just don't have time to get through all the names. But congrats. Well done on the work you've done. But, but what started needs to continue. What you started to do with Jesus, the progress you've begun to make, needs to continue. You need to keep growing. Just like Philemon. There's a transformation that needs to happen in every single one of our lives. There's something that God wants to transform and change in your heart, in the way that you behave, in the way that you relate to other people. Could be a relationship with your parents. Could be a change in a specific behavior, a certain sin you're involved in that you need to lay aside and then move past. Could be a change in lifestyle. Just the way that you live and carry yourself, the attitude that you have every day needs to change. Maybe whatever that change needs to look like, ultimately, the goal of the gospel is life transformation through Jesus. That I follow Jesus, and because, because I'm following Jesus, my life begins to change as a result. And so, I'm going to let the Lord do the work of just laying that on your heart. But there's something right now that's just popping in your head of, oh, this is the transformation that needs to happen. That's the, that's the Lord just talking to you. That's the Holy Spirit prompting your heart right now, speaking through His Word, speaking through me to, to encourage you. Hey, there's some transformation that needs to happen in your life. And it, it needs to happen. It's good. Jesus wants all of you. Jesus wants all of you. I don't remember if this was a fill in the blank. If it's not, you should write this down anyways. Jesus wants all of you. Not just the part of your life. Not just the things that other people see and notice, but everything. And, and, and so we begin this process. We give, we give Jesus the easy parts first, right? This is just how human nature is. We give Jesus the things that are easy to give to him. We show up on a Wednesday night, and that is admirable, and that's worth applauding. It's awesome that you're here consistently. So of you guys, that is a struggle just to get here on a weekly basis, and that is awesome that you're working towards that and making that happen. That's incredible. That's good. Now let's keep the change going. Let's keep that transformation happening. Let's keep it rolling. Every part of your life, Jesus wants. And then so for Philemon, Paul says, hey, you've done well. You're loving. You're faithful. You, you, you follow me. But there's this other area that I want control over. You're holding an essence as a slave. And, and you need to give Jesus that part of your life. You need to give Jesus management of your household and your finances. This needs to be under the authority of Jesus. Philemon's done well, but this area isn't right. And, and this is a socially acceptable sin for Philemon. Today we hear slavery, we're like, man, what the heck? Why would anyone do that? But in his day and age, this is like, yeah, this is cool. This is normal. This is what you should do. If you're rich and powerful, you should have a few slaves. If you don't have a few slaves, like, what are you doing? You're like, you're wasting your money. You're wasting your time. So you can be doing so And this is the pressure you get. It's normal. It's even expected of him. But nonetheless, Paul says it's sin and it needs to be dealt with. The, the change required is radical. It goes against everything society says, but it needs to be dealt with. And, and so I wonder tonight, what socially acceptable sins have we allowed to grow in our hearts? What have we allowed to just kind of, we, we've lived in this, we've, we've walked in this, and, and, and we know the Bible says we shouldn't, but it's, it's just the day and age. The Bible is this old, antiquated document. Our, our culture says this is a socially acceptable sin. Some that come to mind, prejudice and injustice. These are sins that the Bible calls out, but they still hold over many people's hearts. Many people walk in this on a daily basis, and they don't think it's all that big of a deal because everyone else says these, everyone else tells those jokes, everyone else makes those associations, everyone else does this stuff, it's okay, it's acceptable in many social circles, but it's not acceptable in the family of God. Racism is not acceptable in the family of God. Another culturally acceptable, socially acceptable sin, lying and dishonesty. We easily become callous toward dishonesty. We easily become callous toward falsehood. And maybe in your life, you begin to kind of just skimp a little bit. Just, it's just a little white lie. It's just a small thing. 
But even those socially acceptable sins, even the things that you never get caught for, that you never get in trouble for, they're, they're just small lies. Those things are sin and they need to be dealt with. They need to be laid at the feet of Jesus. Hatred and anger is a socially acceptable sin right now. It's really acceptable to yell at someone and get all mad at them because they are part of a different political party than you are, because they believe differently than you do, because they have a different faith than you do. And, and hatred and anger towards people that are different than you, hatred and anger towards other people is not acceptable in the household of God. And, and I know our world's a mess. We don't know how to disagree with someone without hating them. But even that socially acceptable sin it is sin before Jesus. One of the most prevalent and popular, it's the last one I'll list, lust and, and, and sexual sin in general. Internet pornography is widespread. The average age when people start viewing is younger than the youngest person in this room. And it is everywhere. And I know, I know that everyone that you talk to is going to say this is normal and this is good. That, that it's healthy. You can even read studies and scientists will tell you that it's healthy and it's good. But the Bible calls it sin and so we're going to call it sin. And even that area of your life needs to be surrendered over to Jesus. Even the things you do in the privacy of your own bedroom need to be surrendered over to Jesus. We've got a lot of people confused over just all kinds of issues in sexuality. And those things need to be handed over to Jesus. Your lust, your sexual attraction, and your desires need to bow their knee to the authority of Jesus. And here's the good news. Jesus isn't ashamed of you or your sin. Notice that Paul writes to Philemon and he addresses him as a brother. Paul doesn't come to Philemon with, with a layer of shame and guilt and say, man, you're a terrible, no good, awful person because you own this slave. Paul says, no, man, you are a brother to me. You're awesome. You're abounding in faith. You're abounding in love. You're doing great. And now here's another area to surrender over. And that's how Jesus views you. That's how Jesus views the sin in your life. He sees and he says, man, that's not great, but I love you. You're doing so great in so many other areas. And some of you need to hear this encouragement because you just beat yourself up all the time. Every time you fail in this one area, you just keep beating yourself up. You keep saying, man, I'm an awful Christian. Jesus doesn't love me. There's nothing for me because I can't figure this part of my life out. And Jesus looks at you and says, yeah, man, that sin is awful. That sin needs to go. That sin needs to come to my feet. You need to lay that down. But I'm for you and I love you even in the middle of sin. Jesus is for you and he loves you even in the middle of sin. Even the moment after you've committed that sin, Jesus loves you no less than he did before and no less than he will when you do 20 more times. The love of Jesus is constant. Regardless of how sinful you might be, Jesus loves you. His love is for you. Jesus loves sinners. Right? They're the people he's constantly hanging out with. He's about sinners. He, he's around them. If you're caught up in some sin, whether it's something I mentioned or not, Jesus loves you and you're the one that he wants to hang out with. He doesn't want to hang out with stinky religious people who think they're so good and perfect. Jesus actually isn't interested in them. He pushes them away consistently and he runs to people who know they're broken and messed up. And so if you're in here tonight, you know, man, I'm broken. My life's a mess. You're the one that Jesus is running to. You're the one that Jesus is interested in in that room tonight. Jesus loves sinners. He died for you. He died for that sin. He wants to bring you past that sin. He wants to bring transformation in your life. The gospel brings a transformed life. Jesus wants to transform you past your current sin struggles. And I want to help you in that. I, I would love if there's something that I can do 
to, to, to help you work through some scenarios. I, I would love to do whatever I can. Your trademark leaders would love to do whatever they can to help you pass. I'd love to help you untangle the web of lies that you've woven around your life through just dishonesty and speaking to tear your relationship apart. I'd love to help you unweave that and work through that. I love you. I want to see you get past that. I'd love to walk you through restoring relationships with the people that you've hurt because of some of your choices. I'd love to walk you through restoring relationships with people who have hurt you because of some of their choices. I'd love to help you find forgiveness and find healing and wholeness. I'd love to help you with that. I'm for you. I'm for that. I want to see that happen. I'd love to help you explore what it looks like to surrender your sexual orientation to Jesus. And I know that's a hard conversation. I know that there are a lot of things involved in that conversation. But I would love to help you explore what that looks like and have that conversation. And I'm for you. I'm not looking at you with shame or guilt. I'm looking at the love of Jesus and saying, I want to help you transform past this current moment. I'd love to pray with you that the stranglehold of lust would be broken off of your life. And, and I know that's difficult, hard. I've walked through that. I know what that takes, but I'd love to walk with you and help you. It's so much easier when you have someone walking alongside of you versus trying to do it on your own. I'd love to help you become someone who's truly honored to your parents. Whatever that thing is in your life, whatever that transformation is, I'm going to help you. God wants to help you with that. Jesus is for you in that. We come together as trademark because we want to help each other grow and transform past our current selves. So if you're here and you're unhappy with the person you are today, that's okay. Because God loves that. God is for that. God is pleased with that. Jesus wants all of you, including your sin and your shame. You can write this down. The transformed life begins with a transformed heart. The transformed life begins with a transformed heart. We'll pick it up in verse 8 and carry on. Paul says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I, I would have been glad to keep him with me, and we'll skip to 14, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while. You might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. The transformed life begins with the transformed heart. Paul appeals to Philemon, and he says, hey, I want this transformation to take place. But, but Paul doesn't come and lay down the hammer and say, man, you're a sinner, you need to repent, you need to stop having slaves, you need to change this, you suck, do it now. Paul says, I want to see your heart change towards Onesimus. See, it's not so much about the sin that you're involved in, it's about the heart behind that sin. We, we talked about this last week extensively. The problem in our world is not actually the problems in our world. The problem is a sinful human heart that generates those problems. The problem with hatred in this world is, is not hateful people. It's the heart filled with hatred underneath that. The problem with racism in this world is not racism. It's the sinful heart filled with hatred toward brother and sister underneath that. The problem in this world it is not rape and sexual immorality. Those are problems. But the problem underneath that is the issue of a sinful human heart full of lust. And Jesus wants to change the heart. Not just the external, on-top behavior. The issue is the heart underneath and Jesus wants to transform your heart in order to transform your actions. It begins in the heart. The transformed life begins in the transformed heart. Paul says, I could demand that you release from me. I could just give you a rule. 
I, I can just say, hey, do it. Here's how you need to live. But I want it to come from your heart. I don't want this to be a burden of obligation to you. I want it to be something you do joyfully because you want to do it. And this is what Jesus would say to you in the transformation that needs to happen in your life. He, he doesn't want to lay a burden on you and say, hey, you need to do this or else. But he says, I want to change your heart. And I want you to actually want this. See, I found when I fight sin, the biggest problem is actually me. The biggest opposition to my growth in Jesus, the biggest opposition to my growth in getting rid of sin in my life is actually my own sinful heart that's wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9, it won't be up on the screen, but it says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can tame it? Who can control it? My, my heart's a mess. Your heart is a mess. It's full of all sorts of sinful, evil desires. And I find that my heart is fighting me again and again. So how can I have a change from the heart? Ezekiel 36, you can put this up on the screen, Josh. It, it's just this wonderful promise that I come back to again and again. Every time I struggle with sin and I stumble and I fall, every time I mess up, I, I'm drawn back to this verse. And I'd encourage you, if you, don't, if you haven't memorized it, memorize this verse. Maybe like you don't memorize Bible verses. Make an exception for this one because it's just so encouraging. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. What this is saying is, I know your heart's the problem. I know your heart is driving you towards sin. I know your heart is calling you to, to keep living in this sin, and I know you don't want to do it. I know your heart's fighting you, so I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to transform your desires. I'm going to change not just your behavior, but I'm going to change the motivations underneath that behavior. I'm going to change your very heart, the very seed of your motivation and intention. I'm going to make that different. I'm going to make you a fundamentally different person. This is what Jesus promises. The change that needs to happen in your life won't come through begrudging obedience. God doesn't just come to us with a list of rules to follow. The gospel isn't just an assignment that needs to be completed and graded. Ultimately, the path to transformation isn't trying harder. The path is surrendering your heart to Jesus. Asking him and pleading with him to do this miracle. Lord, I need a new heart. And this is my prayer when I'm in the throes of sinful temptation. This is my prayer right after I succumb to temptation. Jesus, give me a new heart. God, my heart is so wicked and awful. God, I, I know I'm so messed up. I know I'm such a mess. God, give me a new heart. Change my desires. Change the things that I want to do. I, I'm trying so hard to modify my behavior, but, but my heart keeps getting in the way. So God, would you get rid of this heart that keeps getting in the way? Give me a new one. It's just like the song we sing today. Tiffany picked such, a, such an appropriate song. From the inside out. Consume me from the inside out. My heart, my soul. I give you control. I give those things over to God. I give him control of my heart. I give him control of my soul. I give him control of my life. And then he consumes me from the inside. The change begins inside. And then it becomes outside. From the inside outward. The transformed life begins with a transformed heart. Philemon needs a change of heart toward this runaway slave. He needs to view him as a brother instead of a slave. Verse 16, don't look at him as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? And then later on, Paul says, receive him as you receive me. So, so change your opinion. He's no longer this runaway slave who stole from you. Now you need to change your heart towards him. Your heart needs to be one of love. The same love that you have for me when I come and you set up a guest group for me. That same love needs to be in your heart for Onesimus. Jesus needs to change your heart. He needs to change the way you feel about him. And Paul is confident that when this happens, Philemon will do the right thing. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, 
I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul says, I'm so sure that the moment that you will give your heart over to Jesus, the moment that God will change your heart, the moment the way you look at Onesimus changes, I know you're going to free him. I know you're going to do this. Because it's not coming as a law. It's not coming as a rule. It's coming because you have a new heart. You have a new relationship. The same reception that Paul would receive, welcome him back as though he was Paul himself. Not with anger or punishment, although this would be entirely appropriate in this culture. It, it'd be so right for him to just Onesimus bloody kill him for running away. And this was okay in the culture, but Paul says, don't do that. Instead, receive him as you receive me with joy, with gladness, with a guest room. Treat him as part of your family. Look at him as a brother. The path to truth, transform life. It's a transformed heart. We'll, we'll end with this by way of application. The gospel restores relationships. The gospel restores relations. Let's just try to put this on the ground. Let's take this out of the Bible. Let's put this in our day, in our culture. So here's what Paul says to Philemon. You're not defined by what you own, but you're defined by the one who owns you. You are no better than Onesimus, he says. Onesimus might be your slave, but you too are a slave to Jesus. Jesus has bought your life through his death on the cross. And so you and he are in the same position. Both of you are slaves to Christ. And so you may own him as a slave, but you're both owned to Christ. And so the church becomes a place where slaves and masters become brothers. Jesus is the great equalizer. There's no divisions in the family of God. Whatever racial divisions might be there, whatever economic divisions might be there, whatever social class divisions might be there, none of those exist because you're all brothers in Jesus. So, so Paul speaks to Philemon, this person in a position of power. He says, hey, you need to disregard the power that you have in society. You need to disregard the prestige that you have. You need to instead view that you are on the same level as all these other people. All these people are created equal. And so today, when we have these relationships, when we're in a relationship, one day you're going to be a parent. You're going to be in a relationship. You're going to have a kid. You're going to be in a relationship over them. And you need to keep this in mind that just because you're the parent and just because they're the kid, you aren't somehow better than they are. You aren't going to be less of a sinner than they are. I know you don't have kids yet, but just hold on to this because you're going to need to remember this. You're no less. And remember this. For your parents, you're no more of a sinner and you're no less of a sinner than your parents are. So when your parents do something that just ticks you off, you need to remember, hey, I'm upset right now, but I'm definitely going to do something that ticks them off too. I'm no less of a sinner than they are. We're all under Jesus. We're all on the same level. And Paul says to Onesimus, and this is where we can kind of put ourselves in as people who often find ourselves on the bottom rungs of society as teenagers, as students, as kids. As people in a lot of relationships, we are not the ones in power. We're the ones on the bottom. Here's what Paul says to people like us. Here's what Paul says to Onesimus. He says, you were once useless to him, be useful now. Paul says to those of us who are in positions of weakness, be useful. Even when you are in a position you don't want to be in, even when there's someone in authority over you you don't really like, be useful. Don't look down on Philemon. For the years that he owned you, for any mistreatment you suffered. He's a different person now. He's a different person. And so maybe you've got a rocky relationship with your parents. And they're not great. They give a lot of really harsh rules. They have some harsh punishments. And you just struggle. Don't look down on them for that. And this is difficult, I know. But don't look down on them for that. 
Instead, try, try to just see that, man, we are both humans. We both make mistakes. We both mess up. We both screw up. I do as much as they do. And, and so I need to be gracious towards the people who are in authority over me. And I just need to be humble and I need to be useful to them. And I know that's hard to do because uh, I don't want to be useful. I really want to be useless. I, I really just want to sit on the couch and finish my game. I, I, I really just want to like not bother with homework and watch more TikToks. I, I, I want to do what I want to do. And, and Paul would say to you, just be useful. Make yourself useful. It, let your service to them be like the service to Jesus. This is what Paul says to Onesimus. As you are now working for Philemon, serve as though you're serving Jesus. And so when you're doing your chores, do those chores, you're doing them for Jesus, not for your parents. Do them as, uh, everything you do, the Bible says, do with all your heart as if you're doing it for God himself. How would you respond if God asked you to do the dishes? I hope it would be a little more kindly than you often respond to your mother when she asks you. I hope. How would you respond to God when he asks you to complete the assignment or gives you a task to you? I hope you would respond a lot more kindly than you do to your teachers when they give you some homework. This is just, I'm just grasping straws, pulling this out of thin air. But live as though you're living for Jesus. Paul says to both groups in society, you look at every relationship you have in your life through the lens of Jesus. We're united around our shared love for Jesus. So we let that be the focus in every single relationship we have. This is literally a core value we have. We have relationships centered around Jesus. This is what Paul's saying. Every relationship, we focus on the fact that we both love Jesus. So whatever we might disagree on, whatever we might be at odds over, whatever we might not like about each other, and this is true for those of us in this room who maybe struggle to get along with each other. I know not everyone is like, I know we say we're a family and we want to become more of a family. We want to love each other more. But I know you don't get along with every person in this room. I get it. But focus on the fact that we're here because we love Jesus. And that, you have that in mind, everything else should just go to the wayside. Because who cares about all those other little things? Because we have Jesus. That's the thing that keeps us together. And, and I might disagree with you on politics. I might disagree with you on sports teams. I might disagree with you on video games. I might disagree with you on, on how you dress. I, I might have a lot of disagreements, but I know we both love Jesus, and so none of that stuff really matters because we know why we're really here. We're here for Him. We're here for Him. If we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God, then our primary relationship to one another is that of siblings. And so we need to treat each other as Scripture tells us to treat ourselves, not as we actually treat ourselves. I know that that does not always reflect what Scripture says. But the same way that Scripture expects us to love one another and live for one another and serve one another, that's how we live with each other. That's how our relationships ought to be. So, we'll close with this. What relationship are you struggling with? I'm going to guess that probably 100% of you have struggled in some aspect in your relationship with your parents. Probably, just rough estimate. I'm, I'm going to guess there's been something. Maybe it wasn't this week. Maybe it was last week. But I can almost guarantee you for the last two weeks there was something. And so let's just walk through this. What would it look like to apply the book of Philemon to my relationship with mom and dad? And, and so we, we could do this with any relationship. By the way, we're just going to pick this one because I, I think we all can kind of relate to this. Okay, Paul says, how can you make yourself useful to your parents? So just think about this. 
as you go home tonight, what can you do that would make yourself useful to them? What would make their day easier? And I know this is a wild way to think. This is like kind of weird because we don't operate in this mindset. But honestly, this will change. If you can get just this, if you can just get this point, your whole relationship with everyone will change. Specifically your parents. This is my testimony. Like, we did not get along. We butted heads, especially the older I got. I was 18. I was ready to get out of the house. And we were just back and forth, non-stop. And I had this moment where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be as useful as I possibly can. And so I just decided, I'm going to do the dishes every single night without asking. And so I just did. And for a while, I was like, Adam, what are you doing? This is weird. But you know what happened? My relationship got way better with them. Because I was, I was useful to them. It became a catalyst for our relationship to increase and grow and become better. Because now I was a useful person. And, and I, 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 I kid you not, my, the fact that I have a good relationship with my parents is 100% based on the fact that I decided I'm just going to serve them. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help them out and make their lives easier. And, and so I just apply that to your life tonight. Apply that to your life tomorrow for, for the next week. And if you can just get that Man, that'll be powerful. So start doing those things without being asked. Whether it's homework, whether it's dishes, whether it's chores, whatever that looks like. Start doing those things without being asked. And when you're asked, do it quickly without grumbling or complaining. Just do it. I, I, I know it's tough. I, I know it feels stupid. But honestly, small things matter so much. And they will impact that relationship so much. Whether or not your parents know Jesus, this is such a powerful testimony. So powerful. Be quick to forgive them. Don't hold grudges. I, I know we don't all have perfect parents. And, and even if you do have really good parents, like my dad's a pastor and we still like, we go at it sometimes, we have some issues. Don't hold a grudge with your parents. That, that grudge is gonna begin to taint every other thing in your relationship and all you're gonna see is like this one issue and that's just gonna become a color, everything. It's gonna mess you up, so just let that go. Forgive them as God and Christ forgave you, the Bible says. Forgive your parents when, when, when they mess up, when they make a mistake. Again, they're, they're, not, they're not perfect. They're humans too. And so forgive them. Give them grace. Don't let this taint and ruin every other aspect of your relationship because you're just holding on to this one thing. Let your obedience to them be like your obedience to Jesus. Whether you want to obey or not, even when the rules seem stupid, let your obedience to them be like your obedience to Jesus. We just have to recognize that sometime in our life, that there's things that, that our parents ask us to do, and we do not see the wisdom of this. It feels really stupid, but they have our best interest in mind. And just hold on to that, that my parents love me. They care what I do. They care who I become. They care what, I, what kind of person I grow up to become. And so even these rules that I think are so dumb, I'm just going to do them because I'm going to trust them in my best interest of heart. And it's the same way when we follow Jesus. We, we, we obey our parents like we obey Jesus. In the same way, Jesus sometimes gives us some things to do that don't make sense. We have to trust that Jesus has my best interests at heart. So I'm going to submit to his word. I'm going to submit to his will because he knows what's good for me. He's interested in, in my full growth. He's interested in becoming a better person. Focus on your shared love for Jesus and your relationship with him. If you can grow, if you and your parents together can grow in your relationship with Jesus... If you guys feel like, hey, mom, can we just read the Bible together once a week? Like, that will do a ton. If you can strengthen your collective relationship with Jesus, it will strengthen your relationship with them. If your parents aren't believers, pray for their salvation. 
Pray that God would just do work in their heart. That, that their heart would be transformed. And when their heart is transformed, the life is transformed. Pray for a transformed heart that would lead to a transformed life. A transformed heart that would lead to them treating you better. A transformed heart that would lead to them understanding why Jesus is such an important part of your life. A transformed heart that would lead you to transform every other part of your life. Pray for that to happen. Seek after the Lord. I can tell you so many stories of people who pray nonstop for years for their parents. And it seemed like nothing was happening. And then in, in just this moment... My dad got a call, and, and it was his dad trying to reconnect after 40 years, saying, son, I'm sorry I found Jesus. And all those prayers paid off after years. So keep going. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. And, and then finally, seek your own transformed life. Seek your own transformed life. Seek to let the message of Philemon just bear its weight on your heart and on your life. And, and so I know we've kind of talked through some heavy things tonight. Kind of highlighted sin, highlighted grace. And I just want to let you sit in this for two seconds of what transformation needs to happen in my life. In fact, we can just all close our eyes right now and, and, and just think about your own life and examine your heart. What transformation do I need to undergo? Where's the Lord leading me to change and grow? What do I need to give up to Him? And just let the Lord bring that to your mind right now. And now would you just surrender that over to Jesus? Say, Lord, that's yours. This part of my heart that I've been holding on to, this anger, this bitterness that I just can't let go of, this sexual sin that I'm involved in, Lord, this disobedience, Lord, this dishonesty, give that over to you. Surrendering to you, Jesus. My heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. And now would you ask God to give you a transformed heart? The answer to your behavior is not your behavior. It's the heart of me. So ask God to transform those sinful desires into righteous ones. Ask God to do that miracle that only he can do. Father, I pray for every person here tonight. I thank you for the truth of Philemon. I thank you for the message of Scripture. I pray that it would bear its way appropriately on our heart and convict us of sin and that you would remind us of your love and your grace towards us. That you don't look on us with shame. You don't look on us with displeasure. But you look on us with love and joy. And every time we surrender an area of our life, you are so happy and rejoicing over that surrender because you want all of us and you love every part of us. Lord, I pray that every person here become dissatisfied with their current level of maturity and dissatisfied with their current level of spirituality. That, that they would just feel like there's more that I can do. There's more I can grow. There's more I can lay down. There's more I can give up. There's more I can grow with Jesus. I pray that they just feel that and sense that. Lord, I pray that you give them the power and the strength to do that. Would you change our hearts because we can't change it on our own. Jesus, thank you for that work. Pray that you do it in our lives. Do you transform our relationships? Do you help us to live with this message in our minds and begin to just serve others and, and live for others and not for ourselves? We ask you to do all these things. It's for you beautiful and, and your glorious we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Jesus. Jesus. You are, you are better, better than, anything than anything in this world. In this world. You guys have gotten so much better at that over the last few months. Hey.
Go, be blessed. I love you guys. Trademark after party, Marino Beach, Starbucks next to Walmart. If you can come, hang out with us. We'd love to see you. Otherwise, I'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.